I would come to Lester with life issues concerning my job, concerning my marriage, uh, concerning my conduct in and outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he, he was a, such a loving guy. He said, you know, Ken, I don't judge one way or the other. He said, you can do that thing, but sober men do it differently. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, howdy, folks. That was the voice of Ken H. that you heard at the beginning of this episode today. And first things first, this episode is brought to you by Sarah, Janice, and Tammy. Sarah, Janice, and Tammy all went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. And I do not take that for granted uh, for anybody who does that. I sure do appreciate it. But thank you, Sarah, Janice, and Tammy, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. So, one of the things that you're going to hear Ken talk about on this episode is that he still loves AA because he likes to hang around and, quote, see the light come on, if you will, with new people. And uh, I understand that completely. Uh, I want to tell you about something that happened to me this week. I went up to my home group one night uh, because I had to drop something off. I actually arrived uh, at the end of the meeting. Uh, Like I said, I just had to drop something off. My friend Lee was there and I heard him talking to a man named Bobby and Lee introduced me to Bobby and it turned out that it was Bobby's first meeting ever that he had attended. And uh, we went back and forth with some general conversation like I've done with a newcomer a million times over. And toward the end of the conversation, I'd been asking him some questions and he just blurted out. He said, it just got out of hand. And he began to tear up. And um, I reached across the chair that was separating us. I put my arms around him and I said, welcome home, Bobby. You never have to feel this way again. And not that it matters much, but Bobby was kind of a a manly man. And, uh, and here we were, we'd never met each other before in our lives. And we were having a, a moment, if you will, in that musty old Alcoholics Anonymous room as my, my friend Don calls it. It's the musty trailer. And, um, I want to reiterate 
why it is that I feel called to create these episodes. It's because I know there are new people like Bobby out there. Um, in other words, I used to sit around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous thinking to myself, I was one of the people in the big book that they talk about that are, quote, constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And folks, that was a lie. And I want you incredible spirits out there to have exposure to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous because they save my life. And I realize there are other ways out there to get sober and people can find that all power to them. Uh, I'm not standing in anybody's way and, and uh, wouldn't want to, uh, but, but I know that for me, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is what's worked for me for a few 24 hours by the grace of God. And, and I'm hoping that this podcast Concern is a launching pad for some of you that are either new or considering a 12-step program, and, and maybe you can actually take some action and walk through the doors of whatever 12-step program uh, calls your name, whether that be AA, Al-Anon, OA, SLA, uh, or SLAA, I think it's called, uh, whatever speaks to you. Um, there's this line in the forward to the third to the forward to the third edition of the big book of alcoholics anonymous it's on xxii and i'm getting out here right now hear that that's an actual physical book but anyway it says in spite of the great increase in the size and the span of this fellowship at its core it remains simple and personal each day somewhere in the world Recovery begins when one alcoholic talks to another alcoholic, sharing experience, strength, and hope. And that's what happened with me and Bobby on Saturday night. Me and Lee and Bobby, all of us talking to each other, sharing experience, strength, and hope. And, uh, you know, I got home that night and, uh, and quite honestly, I, I came out of the room where I was and I was, uh, my wife was laying in our bed and, and I looked at her and I said, you know, I met this guy named Bobby tonight and, and I kind of broke down myself thinking about him and where he was and what he may be doing and what Alcoholics Anonymous had done for me throughout the years. And, um, that's what happens in the rooms of AA over and over and over again. It is not complicated stuff. And we have a methodology that has been laid out by our founders. As it says in How It Works, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And, you know, I don't talk a, a whole lot about my personal story on this particular podcast. Now, you know, I'm, I share a group level when I go out and give my talk and I do it on a, you know, fairly consistent basis, but, but Here's what I want you guys to know out there. My parents were divorced when I was six, and I grew up with a mentally ill mother. Um, and I, when I say mentally ill, um, that's not an understatement. We would talk about suicide, her suicide on a consistent basis. She had anorexia. She had bulimia. She had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And I mean, 
real obsessive compulsive disorder before anybody really knew what it was. She had schizophrenia and she had very unusual health issues. And I'm not going to go into that, but, you know, we lived in probably 25 to 30 different locations when I was growing up uh, because we were constantly on the move. My mom ended up being a bag lady on the streets and a judge deemed her both a, a danger to herself and to society. And I experienced things that really no child should ever experience. And nobody was tucking me in at night telling me everything was going to be okay. I had a half-brother that died from drinking at the age of 27. He drank so much that his organs just shut down. I had a first cousin that I was very close to that went to treatment. He checked out of treatment. He checked himself into a hotel and literally drank himself to death. I, I'm a, I think he was around 30 years old. My first three years in AA were not the thing fairy tales are made of. In other words, I picked up close to a dozen dire chips. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I swore that I was, quote, that one that would never be able to make it. And I was doomed to a life of misery. And so what's my point behind all this? My point is, is that I am just another bozo on the bus. And if I can make it, anyone can grasp hold of recovery. Uh, myself and the people that I bring in here are not, quote, special in any way. I think I can speak for them at least. Uh, but the only difference was for me at least, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous this last time, when I came crawling back in after all those desire chips, time after time after time, I finally had a sponsor who took me aside, the one that I still have today, and said to me, have you worked the steps? That's how we stay sober. I followed his lead, and I haven't had to have a drink by the grace of God since that time. That's enough out of me. So we have a couple of announcements. Uh, we're going to have listener feedback at the end of this episode today. And we're going to be, or I'm going to be including a voicemail in listener feedback. And if you want to leave a voicemail, just like you're going to hear Jim at the end of this thing, um, you can leave a voicemail in a couple of different ways. Uh, and I'd like to hear from you. I really would like to hear from you. I like to hear the voice and inflection, or excuse me, the tone and inflection in people's voice. And uh, you can either go to the show notes, click on the speak pipe tab and leave a message there. Or you can go to the website, soberspeak.com, click on contact us, and you'll see a little black rectangular black box in the right-hand corner that says leave us, or actually says send voicemail, and that will come directly to me. Now, both of those are through using a technology called SpeakPipe, uh, and you get 90 seconds to record your message. And don't worry, if you mess up, it lets you have another shot. In fact, if you mess up and don't want to send it, 
You don't have to send it. If you mess up and want to re-record it, you can re-record it. And if you decide to back out altogether, no harm, no foul. You know, you could just go in there and play with it. But if you don't want to use that speak pipe link I was just talking about, uh, and you do know how to record yourself via a, a digital recorder or your smartphone, um, have at it. You can send that to me. Just send it to john at soberspeak.com. But please be sure it is good audio uh, so I can play it back for the rest of the Sober Speak audience. And keep in mind again, I would so, so much appreciate you sharing this podcast or a particular episode with two or three friends or family members. It's a great way to support the show. Um, And keep in mind, we have a secret Facebook group. All you got to do is be invited by somebody in that group already, or you can send me your email at uh, john at soberspeak.com and keep it, and it has to be the email um, linked into or associated with your Facebook account. There's a bunch of like-minded, uh, amazing friends of Bill W. Allenon and other 12-step programs in there. Uh, you can also follow me as a reminder at... Uh, at SoberSpeak on Instagram. I read all of my direct messages. I'd love to hear from you. One last thing here, and then we are going to get started with Mr. Ken. And uh, a friend of mine, Tony D, wrote me this week via text, and he sent a message, and it was from Tradition 11. And it is, this is from the 12 and 12, page 183. And Tony D, well, not Tony D says, but in the 12 and 12, it says, Tradition 11 is a constant and practical reminder that personal ambition has no place in Alcoholics Anonymous. In it, each member becomes an active guardian of our fellowship. And I just love that quote. All right, now on to Mr. Ken, and we'll catch you on the back end with some listener feedback. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Ken H. And Ken, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and give your sobriety date, if you would, please. Thank you. My name is Ken H. And I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date, by the grace of God, is November the 18th of 1983. November 18, 1983. Well, that's a little while, Ken, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. So, um, all right. So the reason Ken is sitting here with me today is that we have a, a listener and a friend of mine. His name is AJ, and AJ reached out to me, and uh, he suggested Ken. And so we got together, and I was able to have a good conversation with him on the telephone, and and uh, I'm looking forward to this uh, uh, podcast today, to this episode today. So, Ken, first of all, you've been sober since 1983. How do I put this? Well, how did you get here to this point, right? What are you doing sitting at Sober Speak today? Where did it all start and how did we get here? Well, it's funny, as they say, generally speaking, old timer in the program will say, well, I don't know, and then spend 10 or 15 minutes telling you what he doesn't know. Now, I, uh, I'm i guilty of that occasionally, try not to do that today, but uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be introduced to the program in, Austin, well, actually not in Austin, Texas, north of Austin, a little town called Round Rock, Texas. Round Rock, I'm familiar with Round Rock. Round Rock in 1983. Now, it, it was a very much 
more rural area at that time, of course, than it is now. Almost like Frisco. Almost. Almost. And uh, I came to the program. uh, My first time at AA was eight years before that. Uh, When I was 19 years old, I I had gone to the Richardson group well, at that time, by the bus station down off Greenville Avenue. Uh, now, I did not attend a meeting. I was 12-stepped, but I did not attend a meeting. And I, uh, there was eight years between that and the actual time that I... So when you say you're 12-stepped, uh, there may be some people... By the way, we have a lot of people who kind of tune into this. And I would call them like sober curious people. Mm-hmm. They're not really uh, in AA, but they're interested in the program of Alcoholics right. Anonymous. So when you say you're 12-stepped, that means somebody tried to bring the message to you. Is right. that correct? Okay. Correct. And who was that and how did that occur? That would have been... Uh, I had a bad night the night before. Uh, it was... Uh, it was during the holiday season, and I had gone to a Christmas party, and I had an older sister that was staying with me at my house in Plano. Uh, I got home, but my car didn't. And <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, uh, there was some, uh, I was beat up, had some blood on me. I would like to think that I uh, faced off with seven angry men. I probably ran into the house on my way in. But that morning, my sister, who was a social worker with the state of Texas, said, uh, and I had been drinking alcoholically since I was 14 years old. So this was five years into my drinking. She asked me, Ken, do you think you're an alcoholic? And I answered in the affirmative. I was 19 years old, but I knew good and well I was an alcoholic. At that point, she, uh, and this was back in the day, she got in the yellow pages called the Richardson Group. And just a little history lesson here for the uh, younger folks. Uh, yellow Pages. The <laughs> Yellow what Pages, What you yes. call a phone yeah, book, yeah. right? Before Google, correct? <laughs> anyway, oh, she took me down to the Richardson Group, and a couple guys came out in, in the foyer, I guess it's called, and, uh, tw- and 12-step me. And so how did that meeting go? Obviously, it didn't stick, but did you did they was, impress you? I was more interested. They made an impression, and a favorable impression on me. That said, I was much more interested in getting the next drink than I was attending an AA meeting. Gotcha. So you just weren't done yet. Correct. So you weren't done yet. So in how much long? So that went on for what? Did I hear you right? Four or five more years after uh, that? It went on for another eight years. Eight years. And uh, during that eight years, uh, I got my second DWI. I was also arrested for possession of methamphetamine. Interestingly enough, that was the event that got me into Alcoholics Anonymous through the uh, Williamson County Probation Department. Really? So I, I want to talk about those two events here real quick, because when you got a DWI and you got a DWI in the era where it was much harder to get a DWI. So I'm assuming you were trying much harder than the average person on the street. Oh, my. Uh, I, uh, and I don't think that driving and drinking is, is anything to laugh about. That said, it wasn't unusual. When I came into the program, you'd run into people and say, oh, yeah, I had 12 or 14, you know. Uh, uh, it wasn't like it is today. The consequences of a DWI, and like you say, it wasn't as easy to get one. You had to be pretty out there to get stopped, you know. The uh, uh, but, uh, but I had a couple, and uh, 
that uh, in those days it was kind of something you just budgeted for. There, you know, <laughs> you budgeted. <laughs> but, Put that into the annual right, family budget, right. right? Lawyer fees to mm. get out of a DWI. Mm. Okay, let's talk about that meth uh, uh, charge a little bit. So how involved were you with meth? And Not, not to a great level. My, my first and last love was alcohol. Uh, but I found with the meth that just with a little bit of speed, I could drink a lot more alcohol. Right. And that was, uh, it was one of the ways that I could attempt to control and enjoy my drinking. Did you get pulled over with it in your possession? I did. That happen? Yeah. I did in, uh, Richardson, Texas, uh, uh, which I believe is Dallas County. And that would have been in 1981. Two years before I got sober, by the time it was a felony, and so by that, the time I got to court with that, it would have been uh, late 1982. I wound up with a probated sentence, a ten-year probated sentence, and as a result, the probation officer, in talking to me about my history, said, "Well, I think you need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous." So I, I disagree, and he said, "Well, I don't care." <laughs> he said, what I'm going to do is give you this piece of paper, and I need you to take it to an AA meeting and get it signed. And so that was the, that was the, so when you went to get it signed the first time, were you hooked? Or? I went to, well, I'll tell you, I, it was great people. Some of that I still, a couple of the guys I still have contact with today, we're all getting older, uh, of course. They asked me if I wanted a desire chip, and I wasn't really sure what that was This at my at my first real AA meeting. And they said, well, tonight, it represents a desire to uh, try our way of life one day at a time. And I said, tonight, you're the most important one here. I thought, I can do business with people because that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, but no, they were just super... Like we are, they were super helpful. And hey, if there's anything we can do to help, let us know, and and uh, and that kind of thing. And I, I was, I don't know that I was sold on the program, but I was sold on the people. First. Was that was that the November eighteenth? That would have been November. Uh, well, actually, that would have been April of uh, nineteen eighty three. I uh, took me six months to uh, get clean and sober. Gotcha. Kind of going in and After out. After coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever heard that uh, there's a, it's hard when you have a uh, um, mind full of AA and a belly full of booze. They do not. After the, the desire chip, I never drank again, but the other issues. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, and, and, and for me, sobriety, just for me only, sobriety means clean and sober. And so it took a while for to for the clean to catch up with the sober. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you got sober on uh, November eighteenth of nineteen eighty three. Is there anything? Uh, is there anything you want to say before we move on past that? Uh, do you want to back up a little? Talk about you know your family, where you came from, what it was like growing up. What you think? Uh, as you know. Uh, our, our family doesn't make us alcoholic, right? I mean, we're alcoholic. Um, but sometimes there are conditions in the past that will contribute to that. Was that the case for you? Well, I, I can tell you that uh, 
there's a strong case to be made for the genetic aspect of alcoholism. It is a fact that my great-grandfather, grandfather, and father are all three alcoholic. Uh, Where it goes back beyond that, uh, and of course myself, where it goes back beyond that is anybody's guess. I don't think my ancestors caused me to be alcoholic, but I think it's a strong, strong indication there's probably a genetic disposition there. So when you started, you had that knowledge base, obviously. Correct. When you started drinking, did you think to yourself, oh no, I think I may have it, or did it take a while for that to catch on? I, this, this is uh, worrisome to me thinking about it today, but I, I think I embraced it. I think I expected that ah, you want to play into that as, role as as an inevitability. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. The uh, uh, I, I guess in some strange way that's what I was shooting for. That's what I expected. A self fulfilling prophecy came as no surprise to me. All right, so you got into Alcoholics Anonymous. This is uh, November eighteenth of nineteen eighty three. You start working through the steps. Do you remember, you know, getting a sponsor and your first swim through the steps? And what what was going through your mind at that time? Well, I, being a, a young guy, twenty seven years old, uh, I in some way. I began, and I stress the word, began to grow up in Alcoholics Anonymous. In other words, the guys in AA and ladies began to brother me and father me. I had put off anything that even resembled maturity, uh, uh, was in bad need of some life lessons, and and that was the the, the fellowship and uh, the of the other men in Alcoholics Anonymous was important to me, and continues today to be as important to me as anything I've ever found at the fellowship. Very nice. So, so you began your I guess maturing process. Were you able to hold a job at the time? I was. Well, that's and that's I was uh, always working and I had some money in the bank, not a great deal, but some money in the bank. My bills were paid. Uh, now part of that has to do with the fact that when I sobered up, I was working for my father and, uh, I was always on a, that was one of the difficult things for me coming in. Most people that I know in AA suffered worse physically from the effects of alcohol than I did. Uh, most of my suffering occurred between my ears and uh, and in a jail cell or two. The uh, I didn't have liver problems. I didn't sleep in the Johnson grass. Uh, I hadn't married and begun to wreck a family yet. Uh, but uh, but most of my problem, as I perceived it at that time, was uh, moral, emotional, spiritual. So it sounds like you, uh, like you said, you had not begun to wreck a family yet. <laughs> so you were, it sounds like you were single at I the time. I was single. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did that change as you went into sobriety? That changed uh, about two years into sobriety. Okay. And uh, uh, I married uh, my first wife. Uh, she was in Al-Anon. I noticed that down the hall from the AA meetings, there was something going on down there. And... Uh, the, most of them were were uh, females, so I kind of got to looking down there. Anyway, long story short, I uh, <laughs> I got married, uh, 
when I was two years sober. So you're 29? I was 29 years old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, How long had the lady friend been in Al-Anon, do you know? She'd been in Al-Anon about the same time that I'd been sober. I'm going to okay. say a couple of years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, good to give it a couple of years. And so now you mentioned my first wife there. Yeah, I so did. I'm assuming I did. that. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I've uh, so far harvested two wives out of the program. <laughs> harvested. <laughs> uh, and both of them are great ladies. Uh my uh, the mother of my children I married uh, when I was two years sober. My current wife uh, I and I will have been married twenty years in November of this year. Oh, God bless mm-hmm. you! And she's in the AA program. Okay, so she's in AA. She is. Take me back to and so it sounds like you had a, a couple of children in there. Huh? I right? married uh, my first wife had two sons when we married and they were um there are my sons now uh they were three years old and 16 months uh about the time they became school age i adopted them Uh. and uh they're they're great guys proud to proud to be their dad very nice we their mother and i also had a daughter who's she's 32 now so uh uh yeah And uh, so I have three children. Two of them came to me by way of adoption. One of them came to me uh, biologically. Uh, Three children, six grandchildren. Uh, That's it's a great gig. I enjoy it. Six grandchildren. All right, that's fantastic, Ken. All right, so let's talk about the steps then a little bit. So, and in your experience with this step, and first of all, well, let me back up. You came in young. I did. Sometimes it is, quote, harder for other people to get sober when they come in young because they think to themselves, oh, I've got all this, uh, uh, I got all this ahead of me, you know, what am I going to do for fun, you know, hang out and do the polka with all these old people, right? So talk to me a little bit about coming in young and your experience with that. My experience with with coming in young and, and especially 35 years ago, it, it's, there's not or at least the way it looks to me today, there's not near as much stigma about about uh, pulling up young as there was in that day uh, uh, in terms of I had old timers tell me back then, well, I spilled more than you ever drank and you know, <laughs> you're probably not finished and all that kind of thing. And uh, I was kind of an old timers nightmare in terms of being young, having a paper to get signed. They were kind of the guys that I sobered up with were kind of frowned on to you talking about drugs. Uh, they, you know, watch your language. And so I, I was very profane. I tried, I acted like a fool until I could see how foolish I was. And it was interesting. You talk about language. Everyone's got a different opinion on right. language, but I can tell you that, uh, when I came into the program, Every other word was like an F-bomb. I understood. And I don't, you know, and I, I understand that it is just how some people communicate nowadays. Uh, and this is not really any sort of a judgment, if you will, on what people do or don't do. Um, but I always tell my kids, you know, it can be a crutch for a way to communicate. It doesn't mean that I do not let out some words every once in a while, because I do. Um, but, uh, there was just something about, I came to a point to where, um, it just seemed from, in my particular case, like it was about being angry or something like that. Right. And it was a way for me to get some of my anger out. Right. And, uh, I, I shifted course a little bit, but 
AA people are so, generally speaking, so kind and so patient, and and they nobody really called me on that. My my first sponsor said, you know, Ken, you can do and say what you need to do and say to stay sober, but sober men do other things. They, they, they try to learn, they try to grow, they try to, to, uh, improve. And the guys I've been sponsored well in the program, I'll call it anonymous. My, uh, uh, I've had three sponsors. Uh, my first sponsor, uh, I was lucky enough to speak at, uh, 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 at his funeral and I was over 20 years sober at that mm. point uh, my second sponsor passed when I was 8 years sober my current sponsor and I have been working together for 27 years wow mm-hmm. that's fantastic yeah I uh, you know I tell my sponsor he's been sober he's been sponsoring me now for about 29 and a half years and I tell him uh, he's a temporary sponsor they're right right yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh, give him a little test drive here we'll see how it goes and if it works out I may make him a full-time right. sponsor right <laughs> but it's my I think I'd heard it said and I don't remember the origin of the conversation but I've heard it said that a great percentage of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous boils down, or or the let's say the program problems with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous boil down to chairmanship and sponsorship. But I I'm I'm blessed to have been sponsored well. It's and still right still. Mm-hmm. So talk about like when you are if uh, if somebody comes up and says to you you know hey listen Ken I would like you to be my sponsor. You know generally speaking there's a little bit of discussion on the front end about how I sponsor whatever the case may be. And t- take me through some of the bullet points you would give to a new sponsee. I would rather sponsor a few guys well than sponsor many people kind of spotty you know not being available and that kind of thing if i if i take on a new guy then uh, i want to make sure that i've got some time to spend with him i think we owe the new guy that right right and and uh uh, but it's funny in aa as you i'm sure you've heard if you they say you know if the guy doesn't want to get sober you can't say anything right if he wants to get sober you can't say anything wrong and and uh, uh i think you have to have a willing participant. You have to have a sponsor that has an idea of what he's talking about. And then there's this magic spiritual component that surrounds all of that. That's right. And sometimes it, it's not, a, it can't be explained. Uh, right. In other words, it's not some sort of logic. Uh, right. You know, well... You know, I'm going to be sponsoring this guy because he has the exact same type of job I do. Or I'm going to be sponsoring this guy because he has the exact same background. Sometimes completely opposite people attract. And like you said, there's some sort of spiritual component to that. And you have to let God come in and be in the mix. And I always tell guys that I work with, hey, listen, if I'm not the right guy for you, 
you have at it. You go get sponsored exactly. how you need to get sponsored because this is not a marriage, right? This is exactly. a sponsorship. The main thing is, is that you grow close to God and that you uh, have your own experience with the God of your understanding. And Absolutely. if I'm not the guy to take you there, you know, I'm, I'm all behind you. All right. So we will be continuing our conversation with Ken H. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find uh, 60 plus other episodes that you can listen to for free. Uh, Keep in mind, there is a donate button on the website, and you can use that if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. This is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Ken H., What would you say is the best piece of counsel that you have ever received, or maybe one of the best pieces of counsel that you have ever received in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? I think I'd go back. uh, My the sponsor that I worked through the steps with the first time is a man named Lester Garrett. He's passed away, so I can say his full name. When I was bumping along, making a lot of mistakes common to early sobriety, I would come to Lester with life issues uh, uh, concerning my job, concerning my marriage, uh, concerning my conduct in and outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he he was such a loving guy. He said, you know, Ken, I don't judge one way or the other. He said, you can do that thing, but sober men do it differently. And he was so gentle, but there was no question what he was talking about. Again, as I'd said earlier, I... If I have grown much, uh, I've grown up in Alcoholics Anonymous. So let's talk about that a little bit, because, you know, I think there is an impression, especially from people that uh, are new to Alcoholics Anonymous and or they're, uh, you know, they're they're thinking about getting into AA. And and my friend David G actually referred to this uh, many times on a couple of his other episodes that he had. But just because you're in Alcoholics Anonymous... And just because we are sober and enjoying a better life doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. Uh, And it doesn't mean that we still don't need the fellowship. And it doesn't mean that we're still not learning sometimes very hard lessons. Uh, Talk a little bit about that and your experience with um, difficulties in sobriety. In other words, you've been sober for quite some time, 35 years, and I'm assuming that it's not all been peaches and cream. Absolutely. And, I, and I have a couple examples of that. I, uh, uh, in my first marriage, there was uh, infidelity on my part, and, and that didn't cause the end of the marriage, but it certainly exacerbated uh, uh, what were some rough times. So, uh, you know, I don't live that t- way today, but I did then. And uh, uh, the uh, it's also true that when my two sons are 38 and 36 years old today, when they were young, I spent a lot more time at 
AA meetings than I did at home with my doing things with my boys. And uh, as a result of them, a lot, uh, you know, up until they were grown men, there was a whole lot of opportunity to father that I missed. Did they have some resentments toward AA? Do you know? Because You'd of that? have to ask them. I, I we have good relationships today, but uh, and I have made amends to both of them about being absent from such a large part of their childhood. Uh, the uh, I had an old man one time tell me, "Where, where are your? How's the family doing?" I said, "They're good." And uh, he said, "Well, what are the boys doing?" I said, yeah, their mom's got them in a Cub Scout meeting. And I'll never forget this. This little guy's name was Cliff. And he said, Ken, I want to tell you something. We can have a meeting without you here. He said, you only get one chance to father those boys. You should be at that meeting with those kids. And he, and he was right. And I, if, if I have, and I do have some regrets, uh, if I had that part to do over, I would spend a little bit more time uh, as a father and uh, a little bit less time trying to impress people with how many meetings I can make in a row. Very well put, Mr. Ken. Very well put. Uh, In fact, uh, from my perspective, at least, in Alcoholics Anonymous, what it's getting us prepared to do is not not so much to sequester ourselves within the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's preparing us to go out to the world and be involved with others, be involved with our families and be involved with the community as a whole. Now, there's a fine balance in that. And there may be some people... Uh, And I was one of them in the beginning who needed to do nothing but go to AA meetings because I was just squirrely. I was single. It was nothing I could contribute to society as a whole. But after I got up and running, then it became a little bit of a different game. Understood. And uh, uh, I think we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, sponsoring other guys. And I, I think it's important to there's. And I can't tell you what page it's on in the big book, but it does say that a man's not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to practice love and unselfishness under his own roof. And learning to be home when I was home and to be at work when I was at work and to be uh, at you know an effective member of Alcoholics Anonymous when I was at AA, those were... Uh, those were lessons that I needed to learn. And again, I, you know, I'm not advocating. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, today I'm most grateful that I'm not addicted to alcohol or drugs. I've been granted freedom from the bondage of myself one day at a time. And I don't want to be addicted if I have to pick one thing to be addicted to, I, I would uh, uh, I would pick spiritual growth. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad one to have, is it? But I, I guess uh, I'm just going to say this. I think it's easy. It was for me to hide in Alcoholics Anonymous and neglect other areas of my life that that were crying for attention. Very well put. You know, that's interesting. I don't think we have ever, out of all the episodes I've done, uh, 60 plus now, as I 65s or 69, something like that. Um, I do not believe 
we have ever really addressed that particular issue of hiding out, so to speak, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. And here's the thing is that it's hard for me to talk to somebody who's been three or four years sober about that particular event, but somebody who is 35 years sober and who has been through the ringer, uh, both in and outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, has a very good perspective on that. And I'm, I'm so glad we talked about well, that. And I will say this. I, uh, consistency is so, in, in my view and my experience, is so important. The longest in that 35 years, the longest period of time I've ever been without an AA meeting was two weeks, and that was about a week too long. (laughs) (laughs) So, and here, once again, we have something in common. And what I mean by that is that I have made so many mistakes. I've done so many things that are wrong. I I mean, I can't even tell you. I've just made all sorts of mistakes while in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I'm not talking about when I'm drinking. I'm talking about while in Alcoholics Anonymous. But the only thing that I have done right throughout my time has been consistent about meetings. I have never gotten away from meetings. And I know there are people who struggle with that. So talk about that a little bit. You know, there's a saying, meeting makers make it. You know, you've heard that one. But... uh, Talk about making meetings. Well, and meeting makers do make it until they don't. And and uh, that's, but it's been so important to me to stay plugged in to the fellowship. Uh, every time we open an AA meeting, there's a line that's read that says, no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. And thank God for that. I'm not graded in AA on my behavior. You know, the uh, uh, AA defines sobriety as abstinence from alcohol, period. Now, whether I like it, whether you like it, that's AA's definition of sobriety. So, no, there's nobody keeping score but me, you know, and, and uh, uh, but I had mentioned earlier how important my relationships with other men in the program are because we hold each other personally accountable. It's okay, you know, I'm not really proud of it, but here's some behavior with from this last week or this last month or whatever. But, uh, but, uh, and I certainly not my intention to downplay the importance of, of AA meetings, but uh, I've seen my experience was many years ago that. The other areas of my life, my career, my marriage, my children, those things that, that I were crying for attention when, when uh, again, like I had said, I was, uh, I was not as true to those duties as I could have been. You know, and, uh, uh, I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I like to see the light come on for people. That's that's an, uh, uh, a very seductive part of the program for me. And, and you've seen it. You know, when somebody comes in the program and they're like I was without hope, and they begin to get a little bit of hope and then a little bit of faith. In fact, I'll share this with you. My uh, original sponsor started working with a couple guys at the same time. And one of the other guys, he said, uh, you know, how are you feeling about this higher power thing? He said, I'm not, I'm not sure. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've, I've got my God looking after you just now. And until you can come 
to some kind of belief in a power greater than yourself. I'm just going to have my God looking out after you. So the first, wait, I didn't ask you for that. He said, well, it doesn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> he said, my God's super powerful and he is looking after you, whether you like it or not, or whether you believe it or not. Uh, Beautiful. These people, you people loaned me a higher power till, uh, till I could get one of my own for lack of a better term right. or lack of a better way to put it. Right. Yeah, you people loaned me your higher power. And I, I had the exact same experience with my <laughs> uh, with my sponsor, Ken. Right. You know, I said, I don't really know how to do this. And he said, you can borrow mine. And he described his higher power to me. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go with that. But it all just seemed like uh, Easter Bunny stuff, right. and, you know, just mumbo jumbo. Um, and I believe, though, that he believed it. And eventually I was able to kind of take on my own. Very interesting. Okay, so let me ask you another question. What, what do you think uh, is the biggest challenge uh, that you've needed to overcome in sobriety? You may have talked about it already, but is there anything else that you want to add on to that in terms of challenges you have overcome? Sobriety doesn't every day for me mean uh, I've had issues uh, my entire life pre and since coming into AA with occasional depression. Uh, uh, you know, I'm in pretty good company there. I, uh, last time I read Bill Wilson had some, uh, had some issues there too, but I've had issues with the, I've had life keeps happening. And, uh, uh, I mentioned a divorce that, uh, uh, that wasn't a super pleasant experience. Uh, I've been in work and out of work. Uh, I've had money in the bank and little, um, I've had those experiences. I, I, one of the best things about AA and somewhere in our literature says we have a way of life that works in rough going, and it certainly does. It does. And, and if you stay sober any length of time, you're going to experience some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Let's talk about that depression real quick, because I think that's something a lot of people can relate right, to. Right. right. Um, uh, I've had depression as well. Uh, and so when you, when you think about depression and how you've dealt with it throughout your sobriety, um, talk about that. A well, little. it's interesting. I, and, and I did, uh, uh, take antidepressant medication for a number of years, probably five or six years. Uh, and then, uh, and it worked well when it did for what I was taking it for. Uh, uh, I've also treated depression with, uh, physical activity there's a relief of endorphins going on there probably the most poignant period in the last 35 years between i was a very angry young man and uh uh, i came between my 20th and my 25th aa birthdays i spent an hour every week with a therapist thank god and we worked through a lot of the family of origin issues i think sometimes people are looking for too many answers there are things that aa the 12 steps are not designed to deal with and uh, uh in other words and so working with a therapist helped me 
to kind of backtrack, I had worked the steps. I had stayed sober 20 years, and, 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 and AA had, and God had been good to me. But there was some background work that I needed to do. You know, we're not psychologists. Right. And let's just go ahead and put that disclaimer out here right now. Right. We are not psychologists. We're not. We're just giving an opinion here. Uh, and, you know, seek out, you know, professional help. But the book does say if you need it, by God, reach Go out for some it. folks. Re- reach out to it. some people that are, are professionals in this area. Mm-hmm. And good counselors are worth their weight in gold. Oh man, and and I think sometimes it's been it's been my experience that when I had a bad day or a bad situation, then my old idea that I can't let go of is that if I was if I that I must be doing something wrong because I'm not feeling great. And in fact, again, in you know, in our literature, it says uh, for us, the process of gaining a new perspective was unbelievably painful. That's in sobriety. Right. That's in step six and seven. That's right. The the uh, the turmoil that comes, uh, and I think uh, they call it in in our big book. In the nature of huge emotional rearrangements and displacements. Right. The, uh, and, and let's say that line again. The, the, the huge emotional rearrangements and displacements. Emotional rearrangement. Mm-hmm. Huge emotional and rearrangements and displacements. Spiritual growth is turbulent. Is what? Turbulent. Oh, yes. And, you know, and, and I, I think for me, I, uh, uh, it's some. For some reason, it's natural for me to say, if, if I'm upset, I'm doing something wrong. When in fact, if there's some turmoil going on inside of me, it's likely my higher power taking me to where he needs me to be. This is, I think, the first time we've talked to where, anywhere in depth about, oh, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of people that I've talked to, but just just of being sober for a significant period of time and having to deal with the challenges of life as it comes out to you and what to do with those things. You know, we're not exempt from, uh, when I say we, people who have been sober for an extended period of time, we're not exempt from uh, depression. We're not exempt from, um, uh, you know, uh, difficulties that come with life. All right. So we're getting down to the end of time here. Mm -hmm. If you could put a message out there you know, we have a people, a lot of people who are new that are listening to this mm-hmm. uh, uh, throughout the world. If you could put a message out there that says to them, this is what I want you to know about the 12 steps and or Alcoholics Anonymous, what sort of message would you put out there for them? I would, if, I, if I'm speaking right now to somebody that I don't know that's trying to make a decision whether or not recovery is for them, the message would be, we don't know. I don't know, but you know, somewhere inside, you know, uh, whether this is something that, 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 uh, that you want or not, but that it's doable regardless of your circumstances. I feel like God's love for me is not contingent on me being good or bad, right or wrong, drunk or sober. And that's the way the AA people taught me. Look, we just love you. 
and uh, uh, isn't it? Wasn't it Doctor Bob that said, you know, what we have boils down to love and service, and that that we love you and we're here to serve. What what can I do for you? Um, my plate is full. I'm I'm a lucky man. And uh, but if there's some of whatever it is that I've been given over these years that I can share with another human being, I'm at your service. Oh, that's beautiful, Ken. I got to tell you about a little conversation that Ken and I had before we started this podcast, before we started this episode, I should say. And that is, you know, I always do a little prep work and I'm basically asking people, is there anything you want me to avoid or anything that you want to make sure that you tell? And Ken said to me, he said, you know, I'm not really a, a showman, so to speak. This is not a performance for me, but we can talk about Alcoholics Anonymous. We could talk about AA. And I have, I mean, I am soaking this one up. This is something that um, is just, uh, for me, one for the ages. For me, one that I can go back and listen to. Like you said, the it's not about entertaining people, but it is about giving them good, solid information about life in Alcoholics Anonymous, in and around the 12 Steps. I'm so thankful to AJ that he got me in touch with you. Uh, God bless you, AJ, if you're listening out there. I've just, I really, really have enjoyed this. You know, um, this is one of those things where I am going to stay in touch with you for sure after this is over, um, because I consider you a friend already. And uh, I'm so glad you're able to be here and part of my life, share this episode, and I can't wait to get it out to the listeners. Anything you want to add before I close it out? Well, I want to tell you, thank you for having me over today. Thank you for this opportunity. And, uh, uh, I hope whoever is at the other end of this podcast uh, benefits for, from that in whatever way God has uh, lined out for you. That's it. All right. So I always kind of close it up by reading from page 164 of the big book. This is uh, from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 164. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Ken, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you so much, Ken, once again for stopping by. So what would you think about Ken H. there? Um, I think Ken is a class act, and once again, I'm so uh, appreciative of Ken that he came in and took time out of his schedule to sit down with me and get his story recorded. And uh, if you have any comments or thoughts or want to get in contact with Ken, send me an email to john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. Okay, now on to... Listener feedback. First things first, I'm going to play a recording here, a voicemail that we received from Mr. Jim. So here it goes. Hello, John. This is Jim S. I am an alcoholic. I'm a recent uh, new listener. I'm really enjoying each and every one of the podcasts. I'm listening to them from the very first one all the way to the end. I have a special recommendation to any listener to Sober Speak who is a victim of child sexual abuse or knows someone who is a victim of child sexual abuse. I am not, but I know a couple of people who have been victims of that. And my recommendation is go directly to April 1st, Andrew A., and listen to his talk, General Patton and the Muffins Tops. 
you will cry, you will uh, cheer, you will laugh a lot. You may be uh, uh, a little put off by a couple of irreverent parts, but you will be absolutely blessed by Andrew A.'s talk, General Patton and the Muffin Tops. If you know somebody or are someone who has undergone child sexual abuse, go listen to that one now. Thanks, John. Thank you for your recommendation, Jim. I'm sure that there will be some people who take you up on that. I sure do appreciate you, Jim, taking time out of your schedule to leave a voicemail for us here at Sober Speak. Now, on to some uh, other uh, listener feedback. So Elisa writes in and she commented in our Facebook group and how this got started. By the way, there are so many comments uh, in our Facebook group and I can, I, I can't take all of them and put them on the air. Uh, but this one, for whatever reason, stood out to me and I wanted to let everybody else know about it. And this comment actually came from, there was somebody named Tina in our group who said, I'd love to read some good things about making amends. Um, are there any great stories out there? And we got some comments, and one of them that I received was from Lisa. And Lisa said, my very first amends was made to my daughter-in-law about two years ago. I was super nervous, as I know I had said some pretty th- pretty bad things to her while she was dating my son, Ugh, drunk talking. Anyhow, on the way to meet her, I asked God to help me find the words to help give me the pause so I wouldn't say something hurtful or just wrong. The amends went very well. I followed my sponsor's suggestion and spoke from the heart. We hugged. She was super happy to start over again, and we've never and, and we have never discussed the things that I had said. I love her. And we say, I love you every time we part ways with a hug. We got petties done last Saturday. Things truly do get better. Speak from the heart and hopefully all the people you love will forgive you and you can start over again. Good luck. So by the way, I can tell you that I personally have never had a petty done with anybody that I've made an amends to. But it took me a second to figure out what the petty was. I believe that is pedicure. But nonetheless, Lisa, thank you so much for uh, posting that in our uh, Facebook group. Uh, That really uh, uh, touched me, and I I was so glad to hear it. Dustin writes in, Dustin says, good morning, John. My sobriety date is April 12, 2013. And today I can say that I'm grateful to be an alcoholic exclamation point. My home group is the Bella Vista group in Bella Vista, Arkansas. I am from Northwest, Northwest Arkansas, born and raised. That is Walmart country. We know that my wife got me interested in listening to podcasts while working and and recommended Sober Speak. And now I listen to it along with others on my way to work and, uh, and my way back from work. The podcast definitely helped me to keep grounded, centered, and allow me to remember who I am. They are now my meeting between meetings. Service within my home group, district, and area have been a huge part of my recovery. I am very grateful for your service and to our growing sobriety community, along with all the other speakers. Thanks, Dustin B. Thank you so much, Dustin B., for writing in. I sure do appreciate it. 
Christina writes in and she says, John, thank you so much for your service. I'm really looking forward to the rest of David G's step study. Well, you just have, I think, another week to wait before we have the rest of it. Not the rest of it, uh, but another episode from David G, Miss Christina. Anyway, I so appreciate his compassionate yet no-nonsense approach. I took my 90-day chip last night. All right, Christina, fantastic. The new sober way of life has already, in all big caps, been changing my life. Who knew that when I was willing to put the alcohol down, my higher power's grace would come rushing in to fill the void? Well, you guys did. (laughs) Your podcast have really helped me to keep my head focused on the AA principles between meetings, especially on the long commute in the LA traffic when my head is liable to go to some unpleasant places. It's been a blessing. Big namaste hands and big pink heart. I'd love to join the Facebook group. In gratitude, Christina M. of Orange County, California. Well, Christina, I know you're in that Facebook group, and I'm glad you were able to join us. And thank you so much for writing in and listening to us while you were in that traffic in LA. All right, Terry writes in, I'm a 56-year-old woman in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. My sobriety date is 725, July 25th of 1993. I found your podcast just searching around my podcast for AA speakers. I train horses, camels, zebras, exotic cattle, reindeer, etc. for a living and I am a mobile trainer. I travel all over the country and I have found your podcast to be my favorite double exclamation point. (laughs) I listen to it when I'm driving often for up to 13 hours a day. Thank you. Thank you. She says double thank you, Terry. One day at a time and then a big smiley face with clapping hands and two big namaste hands. Well, thank you, Terry, for writing in. I cannot believe that you are training. I don't even know what an exotic cattle is. (laughs) I've heard a reindeer, but I thought it was just from Santa at Christmas time. Anyway, and zebras and camels and, you know, you're doing a lot of cool things. And I'm glad we can keep you company. Uh, And congratulations on your sobriety since 1993. That is fantastic. All right. April writes in. I live on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I checked into treatment on Valentine's Day this year and left March 8th. I am currently an outpatient and going to meetings daily in the area. I have not found a sponsor or a home group yet. I began looking for podcasts and came across Sober Speak, much to my delight. I find the stories fascinating and uplifting. Uh, April. Well, April, I congratulations on your sobriety since Valentine's Day. Um, and I sure do hope that you find a sponsor in a home group real soon. And thank you so much for writing in, April. Uh, keep me in, keep me uh, posted. Laura writes in on Instagram and she says, My sponsor suggested this podcast, and I listened to it for the first time this morning. 
uh, and I heard the episode about shame and guilt. I believe she's talking about the one with uh, Vanessa, the counselor. She said, I really liked it. It's a great message between meetings. Thank you for all you do, exclamation point. I'll be tuning in again, Laura. Well, thank you, Laura, for writing in. Chris writes in from Minneapolis. He says, hello, John. Absolutely love the podcast. It is my meeting between meetings. Love the Ryan L. and Gary K. episodes. I had four years sober and went back to drinking a short time ago. I was blessed to go back to the Hazleton Betty Ford Center and get back into the sobriety game. I'm beyond blessed with a beautiful three-month-old baby, oh great, and a wife that is the most loving woman in the world. Oh, how fortunate you are, Mr. Chris. My sobriety date is February 1st, 2019. Keep up the great work, pressing forward with the Lord's strength one day at a time. God bless and make it a great day, Chris from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, God bless you and God bless your family and congratulations on your sobriety since September 1st. Finally, this is the last one of the week here. And Miss Caitlin writes in and she says, Hi, John M. I just wanted to thank you for all that you do with Sober Speak. It has been such a critical block of the foundation of not my sobriety, not just because it is available to listen when I need it, but also because I am able to take so many gold nuggets from each of your speakers and I apply that to my own sobriety and put it in my own tool belt. I'm coming up on a one your birthday next Sunday and have been reflecting on how much your podcast has helped me on my way. Who would have ever believed that this daily drinker for nine years would be celebrating 365 days of continuous sobriety next week? Thank you again for all that you do. Sincerely, Caitlin. Well, Caitlin, That makes my day. You're a daily drinker for nine years, and you're coming up on 365 days of sobriety. God bless you, Miss Caitlin. And uh, now it's your turn to pass it on, right? I'm sure you are. um, But my goodness, I am just so happy for you. All right, everybody. Until next week, I'm signing out. John M., have a great rest of your week. Oh, you know what I didn't do with Mr. Ken and what I need to do right now? I did not close it out with page 164 of the big book. In page 164 of the big book, the last two paragraphs, it says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.